Welcome everybody to episode 21 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, joining me today, we have the original man from Japan. Uh, Steven Myrick, I'm Taylor's on the boards. We have the man who's hopefully going to Japan. This is Zachary Pinchik, uh, super flat on the boards. We have the man who I think loves Dragon Age 2 or hates Dragon Age 2. I, I don't know if you're talking to me or Kyle. I know, that's the yeah. part. <laughs> um, this is John McCarroll. I'm Keeper X on the board. I really enjoy Dragon Age 2. I think that it's a bad Bioware game, though. Ooh, and then we have the man who's going to be reviewing the PC version of Dragon Age 2 for us. Yes, Kyle E. Miller. Um, it's pretty much the same on the boards. All right, so of course we're going to talk about Dragon Age 2. We're going to talk about a certain game that I started playing, Heavy Rain. Uh, and then, I, I'm sorry, I, I always and think it that. it is going to rain. Uh, I always no, think that Rob. Whenever, whenever Heavy Rain. Uh, so we're going to talk about Heavy Rain. Uh, we have Dissidia Duo Descent. I don't even know what the title is. Okay, thank I'm God. I'm playing it. Okay. Uh, and then Zach's going to tell us a little bit about PAX East, and then we have news to talk about. Um, firstly, I think I speak for everybody on the podcast when we want to say that our hearts are going out to Japan over the massive earthquake and tsunami that happened uh, last week. Um, anything that people can do, donations to the Red Cross, definitely uh, put stuff out there to uh, help these people that are really going through a bad time. But, you know, we're, we're all supportive. We have friends over there and, you know, hearts definitely go out to them for what's going on over there. So mm -hmm. uh, it's great to see governments working together to try to help people out in a really bad situation. So that's, that's the serious, that's the serious part of the show. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just, just throwing it out there. Uh, so let's start talking about some fun games. So uh, Dragon Age 2, the big debate. The internet is seething. We have Bioware on one side reviewing their own game and saying it's awesome. Oh, right. <laughs> hey, quick aside, <clears throat> having dealt with this sort of thing, I can say I, I, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I can say with at least some certainty that based on the fact that it was an engineer that posted that and not any kind of marketing person, not any kind of public relations person, he was probably like, I'm angry. Yeah. Oh, justifiably so. bad. Justifiably so. And he, he yeah, has a I mean, right The game is by no means product. bad. Yeah. Should, should he have done it? No. No. <laughs> does he have a right to defend his product? Yeah. Definitely does. And I think that right now we're seeing something uh, very interesting with Dragon Age 2, which is you you basically have three camps, as uh, Mitch Hedberg would say. You have the people that love it, and you have the people that hate it. And the people that people think going, it's okay. What the hell is it? <laughs> and then you have the people that think it's okay. And um, so, John, your review was, uh, I, I thought, very well stated. This is not me kissing your butt. Uh, I, I thought you had a really fun interesting review of the game you reviewed it for what it is so tell us a little bit about first about what you thought about dragon age 2 so let me be completely honest with everyone uh one of the reasons that i didn't do a direct comparison to dragon age origins is despite the fact that i have both that and the expansion pack sitting on top of my pc i only played about 10 hours of it and i played the sequel on the xbox 360 so I don't have an even experience there to directly compare the two titles. That being said, Dragon Age 2, for me, feels a lot like Jade Empire, where it's a Bioware game, and it's got a solid core because it is a Bioware game, but it's a bad Bioware game. 
But when you say bad Bioware game, you don't mean bad game. You just mean slightly that's, disappointing for Bioware. That, that's exactly right. Because you compare this to let's take let's take a Rise of the Argonauts, which is a bad Mass Effect clone, which is a lot of people's like, oh man, this is Dragon Effect. It's not. If you want to play Dragon Effect and you want to play a bad Dragon Effect, go play Rise of the Argonauts. I think Kyle actually reviewed that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was funny. It, it's it's just this kind of bad game that pretends to be a Bioware game, whereas a bad Bioware game from any other company would be a good game. Yeah. Yeah, and so you you had fun with it. I think that um, you were one of the first reviews that really – you came out right at embargo. So you were one of the first reviews that talked about some of the game's shortcomings, things that I've seen. Uh, I've played the PC version for total transparency, played the game on PC. Uh, I finished it about 30 hours, so I came in just where John said I was going to in terms of gameplay. I think I did pretty much all the side quests, um, and – John pointed out the biggest problems that I had with the game, which was the repeating environments, the small world environment. Uh, for people that still don't know, um, Dragon Age does the Mass Effect 1 thing where there's lots and lots of quests, lots and lots of things to do in the city of Kirkwall. But they all pretty much revolve around the mansion, the cave, the docks. Uh, am I missing anyone? Well, when you get the DLC, there's the ruins. Oh, the ruins. The ruins. It's it's a mansion, cave, warehouse, and sewer. Yes. Now don't now don't forget though. Sometimes they connect, so you'll go into the mansion, and then you'll go into the basement, which leads to the sewer, which goes to the ruins. Right. And it's the same map, but you'll get different pieces of it. It's a, each one is a fairly large map, but and. Bioware tries to pull the wool over your eyes and close off certain passageways, but you're pretty much playing in the same environments the, over and over again. The thing for me is I navigate via I navigate via the mini. Here, I'm gonna start that. I'm gonna have that in there. Take a shot. What was that? That was them going close to. But here's the thing: despite the fact that that wasn't what I said, but whatever. Keep going. I forgot what my point was now. Thanks a lot, asshole. <laughs> You're so defensive. There's something about a mini-map. <laughs> when I play games like Dragon Age, I tend to navigate via the mini-map. And that was one of the first things I noticed, because the mini-map is exactly the same. Even though they'll be like, oh yeah, you can't go here, but you can go over here. Both of those areas still show on every single mini-map. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it it's it's interesting. So, Kyle, let's get your opinion on this because you're going to be doing the review for PC, and you were a huge Origins fan. Like you, you loved Origins. Your your review of it is glowing. You loved it, so obviously you must love Dragon Age too. You'd think. Um, <laughs> no, it's very <laughs> no <think>. no. <laughs> He sounds so sad. Um, I, you know, I am kind of depressed actually playing it. Like, I was thinking I'm unimpressed and I'm depressed. I think, yeah, I think it's a bad Bioware game, like John was saying. I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, of course, naturally, why? You know, why did it end up like this? I'm thinking, okay, it was rushed. It came out in just over a year. 
a lot of the things in it seem like they just it was the first thing that came to mind. Oh yeah, let's have that quest. We need a quest idea. Um, and then they just come up with it in five minutes, you know? And it's just, the thing that's getting to me is just the lack of compelling content. The quests are boring. I don't find that most of the dialogue very good. And I don't even really like the characters that much, which is really, uh, really disappointing that's because, you know, Bioware characters, good characters, that's like their trademark, practically. Despite the fact that that I agree with you with the overall story, and I talk about this in my review because I feel that that's because this isn't Hawk's story; it's Kirkwall's story. I actually like the characters. I like them a lot. I, I actually agree. I, I think uh, the I'm, cast is awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm right there. I I think that the cast has some shortcomings. I think I really didn't like Isabella. <clears throat> I, Meryl. I love Meryl. I think Meryl's hilarious. She's so I cute and dry and awesome. And her conversations with everybody are almost always funny because she's so oblivious. Now, granted, she looks like Skeletor when you sleep with her. I mean, that is a weird uh, picture. But, uh, <laughs> but she, I love Meryl. She's great. I can't I stand Isabella. I have to agree. I think Isabella's funny when she has her little dialogues with other people. But the fact that every time you go to someone's house, Isabella's walking out and she's like, yeah, we totally did something. Mm. Uh, yeah, that happened twice to me today while I was playing. It was kind of weird. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a just... lot. And they just they try way too hard to make her into like Dragon Age's sexy Miranda. And At one point, Miranda she... was stupid. And so was she. There's just there's just something keeping me from really warming up to most of the characters. I mean, I'm starting to like some of them. I'm starting to like Varric quite a bit. Varric's the man. Varric's the first character in the game. I do like Anders as well. I mean, I liked him in Awakenings, even though he lost his sense of humor, kind of. Um, I guess it makes sense. We'll see how you like Anders later in the game. (laughs) At first, I didn't like like anybody, and then I slowly, like, the more, like, you get their, like, conversations and stuff, I started to like him a lot more. At first, I couldn't stand Fenris, and now he's one of my favorite characters. Fenris is so like uh, I think Stephen and I we, we've talked about this over Steam like Fenris is kind of Bioware making fun of the traditional like Cloud Strife Squall Leonhardt <laughs> character they're kind yeah, I mean, of making fun of like he's just like I don't love anybody including myself <laughs> like he he just he's so emo and just like I hate everybody so angry he's so angry but I like, love but him. that's what I like about it because after a while you're like. Something happens, and you're like, oh, Fenris is going to totally destroy this guy. And he does. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, you know, he walks up and puts his hand inside of him, and they blow up. Yeah. And I'm like, I, oh, that I, was awesome. I and love like, him. I, I, I like – He's a great character. He's, I like how you'll have the conversations, and you know how you could occasionally turn to another character if they're relevant to it? Most of the time when you turn to Fenris, it's basically, hey, totally slaughter this guy, and he does. <laughs> Fenris, Fenris is like, yo, man, this guy's got to die. Like, like you, I, see a, you, you meet a slaver, and you're just like Fenris, and he's like, my pleasure. <laughs> And then the best part is after that, he uses his little hand of death thing. Varric goes, so do you use that hand of death thing often? <laughs> there is really, really funny dialogue. I, I really like um, t- two of the funny dialogues that, that I saw. Uh, Hawk, is, I played, of course, the sarcastic Hawk, where he was always doing the sarcastic comments. And I, I think he delivers the sarcastic lines better than anything else in the game. He he comes across with like that British sense of humor. At one point, a blood mage was like threatening the whole party, you know, talking about how she was going to kill everybody. And Hawk just looked at her and was just like, so do you mind explaining your particular brand of crazy? Like just so dry and witty and 
that was awesome. Then there was this. Remember how we talked about how Dragon Age was? Dragon Age Two was a little bit more crass. I didn't feel that that happened as much as I thought it was going to after playing the demo. There, there's moments where characters curse, but it's it's relegated to pretty much whenever Isabella's on screen. Yes, and that's who we're getting to. And, and she likes big boats, and she oh, yes. cannot lie. Yes, um, at, she does. At one point, um, I'm being very delicate here. Aveline and Isabella have a conversation because Aveline feels that she's not um, having a good relationship with her husband. And Isabella gives her some advice. It is probably the most vile thing I've ever heard in a video game. And that's including Grand Theft Auto. I was just like, what? What? We'll, we'll talk after the podcast about that one, but that I think that the crassness of the game is kept with characters that it works with, and so it, it didn't end up being a distraction uh, as much as I thought it was going to. Like Isabella curses like a sailor because she's a, a sailor. sailor. So now, I have to I have to take back what I said slightly. Isabella can be annoying except when she's with the right characters. Yes. Like, if you have Isabella with Fenris, everything they say is funny because she makes fun of him being all emo. <laughs> and she she hits on him so hardcore, and he's just so visibly uncomfortable. And his response, I, like, they're sitting there talking about politics and about slavery, and then he goes, could you please just ask me to take my underwear off again? <laughs> I, uh, I kept Isabella and uh, Meryl in my party a lot, and I thought they had some great dialogue together. Um, I... The one thing I I remember I never kept Aveline in my party, but uh, how did you get through the game? Oh, that's right, you played as a warrior. I, I played as a warrior, so okay. I didn't need any kind of tank. I was just like, "Hi, I'm a warrior. You can't hurt me, and when you do hurt me, I can just steal your health." Like if you don't have like I played as an archer rogue, and if you if you have to have Aveline in your party, or else you're screwed. Like you need a tank. You absolutely maybe need that's it. my problem. See, I actually stopped yeah. using. I don't. I I used Aveline for a while because I liked She's it, so and then boring. I realized that the best offense in this game or best defense in this game is to just kill really fast. Yes. So I switched to Fenris. Yeah. So uh, now the, the the dialogue that you talk about with uh, with Aveline is that the. Men are good for one thing. Women are good for six. No, no. Okay, the I just want to make sure that I wasn't confused because that's the dialogue that I loved with, uh, with Meryl. No, th- this is this is one about um where to place your hand. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was I, I literally like I paused the game and I was just what. See, I think what we have here is us actually talking about what I think is strongest in the game, which is the cast. Yes, I would agree. I, would I think that it is really the only like thing cast. that got the amount of time it needed. The combat is fun, but it's unbalanced because they didn't have time to balance it. The game has repetitive environments because it was, it was rushed. I think the only thing that they really got right was the car- the cast and giving Hawk that personality. Because it's obvious they were trying to make Hawk a memorable character like Shepard is. Yeah, and I, this is uh, – you segued very nicely because I, I think we, we've talked about the characters. And I, I think you know the characters are open for debate, and I can see where Kyle's coming from. I don't think – I like the characters in Dragon Age 2. I don't think there's anybody that stands out as much as Alistair and Morrigan. I, I still – I love yeah. those two. But see, I, it's, I think the cast is very good. That, the cast and the dialogue and the banter between them, that's one of the things that it's almost impossible not to compare to Origins. And just 
Origins won me over with its, you know, with Alistair's banter and Morgan and everything. Whereas with Dragon Age 2, it just feels a little bit forced and it just, I don't know, I, there's just something missing from it that I... And I, I can I can definitely see that, but the, the thing that I wanted to get into, because uh, I think Steven is a better man than all of us for playing this game on Nightmare, and I warned <laughs> Steven that he probably wouldn't want to do that. So Steven, why don't you tell us, you, you said that Dragon Age 2 is not balanced. Please it's, enlighten it's us. It's funny that you should mention that, because I'm actually playing it now and getting ready to punch a hole in something. But, <laughs> um, well, basically what happens is, the very first, the introduction scene on Nightmare, um, people can, you know, be internet tough guys or whatever and talk about how incredibly easy it is on Nightmare. The intro is murderously hard on Nightmare because you have no abilities. You have one ability. You basically have to kite the ogre until he's dead. And, you know, I, I you know, I'm used to Bioware first dungeons being terrible because they I think they do that on purpose. And so you get past that. And Act 1 starts out very challenging. But honestly, I thought the difficulty was it was really well tuned. It was very hard. But I had to switch between characters, and as long as I manage my characters well, I could win. That's great. You start Act 2, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you won those fights? Which I'm, I also wanted to mention, oh my god, the boss of Act 1 is hard. But Yeah. <laughs> um, you get to Act 2, and you're fighting, and you're like, oh, all right, the fights seem you know, basically just as easy as before. And then you finish the first wave, which the, way, the first wave of Act 2 is like all three waves of the previous acts, because they're dumping so many more guys at you. So you finish that, and then, like, 30 more guys spawn. And in the process of killing those guys, you kill one and two more spawn. And you're like, all right, so they're just going to continually spawn enemies until I get overrun. And so that is where the quote-unquote difficulty comes from, is that you're winning a fight, so what do they do? They spawn in six rogues. Rogues aren't a problem if you can stop them from stealthing, which is basically impossible because they're always going to do it at least once. And in Nightmare, if you get hit by a stealth rogue, it doesn't matter how much health you have, you're dead. Yeah, the and game. so you kill an entire squad of enemies, and then they spawn a bunch of trash mobs and five rogues, five elite rogues. And if you miss, if them. those five elite rogues go stealth, you're dead unless you run away from the fight totally and come back. And then by the time you get back, you'll hit them twice, and then they'll stealth again. Because if you don't, all four of your characters are going to get one hit killed. One thing that we talked about on the podcast before, and I, I did the PC review of Dragon Age Origins, and I found that the game, the game's difficulty was really all over the place. Now, granted, I had a completely broken party when I first played Origins. I had no idea what I was doing. I was, I was trying to play it like a JRPG, going for massive damage instead of crowd control. So my party just sucked. So going into Dragon Age 2, I, I very much knew, okay, well, I got to have the Holy Trinity. I got to have a mage. I got to have a tank and I got to have a rogue. And then the fourth character, I can kind of do whatever I want. I'm, I'm playing Dragon Age 2. I played it on normal the whole way through. I never died. I never died on normal. I, I played Hawk was an archer and archers are ridiculously overpowered now. There, there's no point in having a melee rogue. If yeah, you... me melee rogue is basically a weak warrior that's going to get aggro too fast and then die unless yeah. you're Hawk. Uh, like, the, Hawk, Hawk can be a good melee rogue because he gets his specialized trees, but I basically find Isabella to be a really terrible warrior. Yeah, because she'll— See, my, I, went, I went with dual-wielding rogue for Hawk, and <clears throat> I've had trouble on hard. It's been—there were some battles that it were that pretty much impossible on hard. Yeah, and see, I, I pumped up the difficulty to hard— Right around the end of Act 1, right around the end of Act 1, I was like, wow, I've, I've not died. I'm not having any problems. I'm going to pump the difficulty up to hard. 
And then, you know, I see a mage. And I'm like, huh, all right, well, this is going to get interesting. It's like I'm going to play Dragon Age Origins. It's like I'm playing Origins again. The mage auto-killed Hawk. Just used one <laughs> spell and just auto-killed him. You know, I didn't even see a damage marker. He just died. And so, okay, well, Anders revive Hawk. And Hawk revived, and the spell was still going on, and he just died again. And at that point, I was like, I have no desire to play this game on hard because this isn't difficulty. This is just you auto-kill my my guys. And so eventually, about midway through Act 2, I, I got you know the gumption up to do it again, and I ran into the exact same problem that Steven's talking about where I had a rogue go stealth and then auto-kill three of my guys. Like a couple of rogues is, just went stealth. It's not like they do it slowly either. I mean, they'll go stealth, hit you once, and then go stealth again. Yeah. Like, it, they'll just continually backstab you. And there's one spell that works. It's the misdirection hex that will prevent them from getting backstab damage. And the thing is, that's great. If you have three mages, you know, they can cast it once every 60 seconds, I think. And if you're fighting six rogues, you kill two of them and three more spawn. What do you do? Yeah. I, I think the difficulty... Uh, the game is not balanced, which is a real shame. I'm 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 a huge proponent of balanced difficulty, and Dragon Age Two to me is not balanced. It's either way too hard or way too easy. And yeah, that's what, what I'm I finding. what I think would be interesting is I I drew in my review a uh, a comparison to World of Warcraft, and I think that that's apropos here because I think that Dragon Age Two would be balanced. If you had one person playing each character, if this were an MMO, I have a feeling it would be more balanced because you would have better crowd control and everything it would have excellent else. Excellent multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. And and now um, it, this is this is also interesting, and I, I wanted to throw this out there because I I finished the game on Act Two without giving away spoilers. The end of Act Two, you can fight the final fight of Act 2 a couple of different ways. And one of the ways to do it is to fight it alone as Hawk. Oh, my God. I could not finish it because my Hawk was not built for it. So I was like – so I, I think that was the only time I died on normal. So now, John, you probably had an easy time because your guy was a warrior. Yes, that fight was cake. Yeah, you just probably auto-attacked him and then just maybe dropped a health potion midway through the fight. I don't even need, I don't even need health potions. My my guy was set up to be a reaver. He he would literally just – I had an ability that would give me half of my health back and deal damage to the opponent. Yeah, and see, I was playing as my archer rogue, and the game does this really obnoxious thing where it stun locks you. It's like the game is cheating just like we did in Origins to beat Origins where a character will knock you down, and then as you're getting up – the character you get stun locked. Oh my god! Yep, knocks you down again. So the annoying. Is, there's nothing you can do because your mages are never going to have enough fortitude because your warriors sometimes get knocked down and they have like 30, 40 fortitude. The mages have like two. Yep. And I, I was getting I'm, furious. I, you get knocked down even as a warrior. You get knocked down by everything. I couldn't. I could not beat the final boss of act two by myself. I had to do it as a party. And I know a lot of people say that that's the hardest fight in the game. My party ripped through it, no problem. Like, I, I had a god party, but each individual piece of my party worked. One character could not do anything on their own. So I think that plays into John's angle of this is very much like an MMO, where the, the, all the gears have to turn. Now, I, I I feel like Zach has maybe fallen asleep. Do you have anything to add, Zach? Uh, how's the story? Did, did, they, did they live <laughs> up to that... 
Yeah, no, I've just been chilling. Um, I, I was actually the one thing that I'm kind of wondering, you know, is is how um, is did Bioware deliver on what on this kind of interesting, unconventional narrative that no, they promised? No, not really. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Bummer. It's a, sh- it's a real so shame. Far. It's a real shame because I think I was so you happy know, that Bioware did something different because this isn't yeah. the oh there's an ultimate evil we have to go complete three quests and then we will fight the ultimate evil this is very much the story of do not be confused this is not the story of hawk this hawk is, is the a guy who is in kirkwall yes this is the story of kirkwall and it's a very different type of narrative i am very happy that they tried it i think act two is the peak of the story it's the most interesting and then Act 3 is just a repeat of what happened in Origins. It's almost a complete repeat of one of the storylines in Origins. And I don't think – I was going to say I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I'm really getting that vibe too because I didn't finish the first Dragon Age. I got basically right to, to right before the last section, and I'm really getting that kind of that vibe. It's repeating old territory. See, this is, the, this is the one of the problems, I think, I think. – Go ahead, Kyle. One of the problems with the narrative is Kirkwall. You know, Kirkwall, it's about Kirkwall, but it fails as both a character and a setting. It's a terrible fantasy city. It has no individuality. It has nothing interesting about it. It doesn't feel alive like, like the Assassin's Creed cities. It doesn't have a unique identity like Planescape Torment's sigil. And it's... You know, it's just another generic fantasy city, and it all kind of looks the same, and it's not very big. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree. I, I think that Kirkwall is almost the game's ultimate failing, and I don't mean that in, oh, there's nothing inherently good about it. I, I liked the political intrigue. I, I think l- the backstory of Dragon Age fits well with it. It's just the town itself doesn't bring much new to it. Like, most of your background story is just stuff that was in Origins. Yeah. You know what? Dragon yeah. Age 2 should have taken place in Midgar. Oh, that would have been cool. I'm so, been cool. I, I, I love Midgar. I, I really do. Okay, anyway. But I ripped I, off the Junon cannon. It would look. have been goat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what I mean. Like, no one will remember Kirkwall. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate year. thing. I, I There's so much that I love about this game. I love the fact that each character class is fun to play. I love the fact that the combat, even though it has problems and yet yeah, spawns a lot of trash mobs on you, I like the fact that combat makes you feel really powerful. I was telling the guys earlier that I can one-shot a, uh, an ogre for 6,000 damage. When you see an ogre literally explode like a pimple, now that is so satisfying. That, I can't do that, but I will say I feel pretty good about the mage's damage because you can crit with chain lightning and do about 2,000 damage. And no, it's not as 6,000, but it's the 10 guys. Yeah, yeah. The the I like the fact that they made it so the rogue is all about taking down single characters. I think the combat, while very repetitive, and I, I think the game stresses the combat way too much, I do really like it. It's just that outside of the characters and outside of the fun combat, I really didn't care about the quests I was completing. I really didn't care about the world that much. A lot of it's just repeating. So I think yeah. from that angle, it's a disappointment so, to me. But So I, I would like to propose that we rename Dragon Age 2 to Jade Empire 2, <laughs> and we're all good. <laughs> well, I, I think that I, I'm so happy that, that it, like they, they gave it a harder edge 
which I really liked. I didn't like the fact that in Origins, we've talked before, like everybody looked like they were wearing leather diapers. The mages couldn't have looked worse if they tried with their conehead hats. Whereas and, in this one, they look badass. Yeah, like like everything just hits really hard and everything feels really visceral. So that angle I love. The problem is that if we could just have Origins story and the culmination – I mean Origins, when you finished Origins, you felt like you you did something. That was like an ending. I finished Dragon Age 2, and I'll be honest, I just kind of stared at the screen, and I was like, eh? I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I was like, I, really? Really? Huh? Like, that's it? And then, and then I tried – the first thing I did when I finished Origins, I fired up another character. I, and part of that was because of the origin stories, and I wanted to play as a different character. Mm-hmm. And I fired up another game of Dragon Age 2, and I'll be honest, I haven't played it for a week. I, I, I have no yeah, desire to I, play it. I don't think I'm going to play another character in it, honestly. Maybe maybe like a year from now. But yeah, When Dragon Age 3, the Hawkening comes out, or whatever the hell. The Hawkening. The Hawkening. It's, it's Dragon I, Age um, 3, Dragon Age year. Yes. The thing I get <laughs> most out of this game, and I think I said it to Rob a while ago, I feel like Bioware could have saved themselves a lot of that whole we hate this game because it's dumbed down and just marketed this game. The first Dragon Age was a spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate. This game reminds me so much of Icewind Dale, it's not even funny. Because Icewind Dale was the same thing. They were like, oh, it's more focused on the combat. It's visceral combat and it's faster. Icewind Dale is faster than Baldur's Gate, but similar. And just, the, in my opinion, the characters in Icewind Dale. Because, you know, you make your whole party not the focus and the story isn't that great in it either i really just feel like i'm playing a 3d icewind dale because i mean it's just fight 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 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in icewind dale i never paid attention to what i was doing i just basically did like oh go here kill this get that and that's basically what this whole game is and i mean i yeah. think the the conversations between the quests are awesome like i like the story behind the quests that, it's just the actual activities you're doing in the quests are all the same that's the most intriguing thing to me is the dialogue that I enjoyed the most was the throwaway dialogue. Yeah, yeah, that was the best part of the game. It really it was, was the only part of the game with any personality. Yep, yep. So I, I think we've we've kind of beaten a dead horse here. I I would say Dragon Age. I I really liked Dragon Age too. I had a fun time with it. I I played the hell out of it for four days. And but when I beat it, it, it was kind of like an empty meal. It, it was like I, I, I beat it and I really don't have any desire to replay it. I'm kind of left with an empty feeling. I mean, they, they completely set up for the next game. I mean, they they, yeah. they, they literally they're just like, well, something cool is going to happen in Dragon Age three. And I'll, I'll be interested to talk to you guys after you beat the game because you have the big decision about who you side with in the third act. That doesn't impact anything. It's, you know what? It still mm. happens. Re- you know what I really think they're trying to do is they see how mu- how much anticipation there is for Mass Effect Three, and they're trying to do the same thing with Dragon Age, but they forget that it's a different series. And the reason people anticipate Mass Effect Three, Mass Effect doesn't have the most original story in the world, but the characters are great, and people really get invested in Shepard because of the decisions they made. That doesn't happen in Dragon Age, and I, from what you said, it sounds like they're trying to be like, "Oh, look, this is the big finale of Dragon Age coming up," but. They already killed get? an archdemon. Like that's my point. Like they are you killed an archdemon in Origins. Like that is that is basically the equivalent of going up and punching out God. And <laughs> like where can you go from that? And so they had nowhere to go but down and they really like they kind of slummed it with the story. Like you know, what, what are we going to have him do? Uh, are we going to have him fight a mecha archdemon? No, we're just going to have him do some political intrigue. 
And so it, it doesn't feel grand. It, it really doesn't. And it's almost by nature of what they did with the original that that's going to happen, but it's still a disappointment. You know what I think yeah, they and- can succeed with, though, is the, the whole uh, years pass between each act. I thought it was great that you know they all meet in act – you meet almost everyone except for Sebastian in act one. And then what I really liked was in act two just running around Hawk's house, seeing all the stuff that they were like, oh, yeah, Isabella was here and she did this and, oh – you know, Varric came over here and told me he liked this. And I thought they did a really good job of suggesting that these people have known each other for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, ex- But I was expecting that to be better developed. I, I wanted to see something along the lines of Assassin's Creed 2 where you see Ezio go from a young boy to a master assassin. And I felt like they tried with Dragon Age 2, but they never achieved that. Well, because Hawk you know, seemed like a – Hawk was basically the same – from Act One, the prologue to Act One to Act Two. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he doesn't really, really aged much. I mean, they're like, oh yeah, now he's an aristocrat. Yeah, but he still does the exact same crap he did before. <laughs> he runs around in sewers and kills bandits. Now, I, uh, I, I think we should we need to move on because we're we're starting to yeah we're uh, getting too long. Big, big okay. Time. The last thing that I want to say about Dragon Age is Dragon Age Two wins because Sandal has a conversation with Yermabari. Yes, yes, he does. Yes. All right. So, um, can I put my hater pants on? No. Keep your hater ha- hater hands hater pants do, in the closet. Do, do we possibly want to keep hater pants until next time? Because it's not necessarily an argument or a, a conversation that is time relevant. Like we can have that conversation next week. Or uh, I he really Rob, has to Rob, get it out. Rob has really wanted to get this out. All right. Adult. We'll make it short then. Heavy Rain 2 story sucks. Heavy There's Rain 2? Heavy Rain 2? Can you please get me... Did I say Heavy Rain 2? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got, I, got, I got screwed up with Dragon Age. Okay, let me try that one again. I love how you guys have this dramatic buildup, and then I, I go ahead and absolutely mess it up. <laughs> Heavy Rain story sucks. It's so I want to hear about the sequel. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about Heavy Rain. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, so we've, we've been yelling at each other on the boards because um, Heavy Rain came out. Because Rob hates fun. On, yes. on our staff boards. Yeah, so on our staff boards. You can't find this conversation. And it's probably for the best. Um, Heavy Rain, it, it came out for uh, Greatest Hits, and I went ahead and I picked it up. And now John was 100% right. I you definitely had a – expecting to hate it. I was kind of expecting to be let down because I had read about the plot holes in the game, and I definitely went in with a preconceived notion that the story was going to suck. That being said, the story sucks more than I could have anticipated. I'm glad my expectations were lo- were lowered. This game does some absolutely brilliant things when it comes to building tension and – making you feel like your decisions matter. It's all smoke and mirrors, but hey, that's all video games are in general. So I can't fault it for that. So it makes you feel like you're in these really tense, serious situations as you try to solve the mystery of the origami killer. Um, Sorry. Did you like how every character pronounces that word differently? Yes, and I also like uh, Jason. 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 My favorite part, though, is the guy in the police station. He's like, the origami killer. The origami killer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but so what is aragami? So, but then when you start to think about why you're in these situations and you try to make sense of the story, you realize that this is one of the most rock stupid, inane, 
horrible stories I've ever seen in a video game, and I feel like it's getting away with absolute murder. The fact that people are like, this is video game storytelling at its best. No, it's interesting gameplay at its best. It's horrible. No, no, no. I, I disagree with you there. I totally disagree with you. Is this storytelling at its best? Yes. It's is it story, story at its best? Absolutely not. If you went and put a great, like a really great story behind that system, it would work beautifully. Okay, if you made it so that the con- the characters can c- could control decently, because this game this game makes it makes Resident Evil feel like you're driving a Ferrari. Really? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I I, I didn't, I didn't any find problems, any problems. Right? If you just basically, it is kind of a silly control scheme, especially when you kind of you know like it separates you know like looking from moving and everything, which you know that's what well, most games. Anyways, but. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, the if you just hold down R two and then use use the analog stick like you you know like you have analog control, it works pretty well. Just but, you know. For... But there were times where the game puts you in these situations which are timed, and I almost failed them because I was just I could not get my character to hone in on that one item that I wanted to. I'm I'm like no look down no look down. I felt like I was playing that Sega Saturn game. What was it Life Force or whatever? The game was cool. The the one where you're telling the girl to like do things, was See, that a PlayStation Two? There's no, a I, PS2 game. Was, yeah, that was PS2. Game. Life, yeah, Lifeline. My Lifeline. Yeah, I felt like I was like, no, look down. What, no, look down. Rob, I I have a question for you. Did you ever play uh, Indigo Prophecy? Yes, and I I remember I I liked Indigo Prophecy until it turned into Dragon Ball Z. Okay, Funko, no, no, no. I, I don't Matrix care Science. about I don't care about the story. But <laughs> oh, the con- okay. The the control schemes in these games, while it was not the whole kind of drive your character around like it was in Heavy Rain, had the same kind of, okay, when you interact with things, it's going to be emotion. And I, you know, I didn't have any kind of issue whatsoever with the control scheme, I think because I played Indigo Prophecy. So it's interesting to uh, to hear you say that that you had issues with it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, my biggest – and I can accept that. I mean I, I can take horrible controls if it doesn't impact the gameplay, and for the most part, it doesn't in Heavy Rain. The thing that just really broke everything for me was when I sat down and I started to think about why am I in this situation? Why did it happen like this? Why is my character doing this? There's these amazing jumps in logic and just – the game at one point completely cheats, and I think we, we talked about it before, and I, I won't give away the big spoiler, but the the game shows no respect for the audience at one point with the way that it tries to pull the wool over your eyes as to who the killer is by just hardcore cheating. Yeah, anybody, I, and I, I, anybody, I love the game, but I will agree completely with that. Anybody that's, that's that defends that, uh, if you defend that, I, I really have a problem because that – that is not storytelling. That's a giant middle finger to the audience. That it, it's only there to throw you off the track of the killer, and it, it shows no respect. It the, the really thing, the thing that I, I agree with that because what it is is it breaks. They make a very strong point of being really consistent about how they present you the story, and how they show you every event. Like you, you get gaps in between when you switch characters. You know, like Ethan goes here. And then you're here, and everything you see is Ethan's perspective. And you get that one point where it's like they don't do that, and it's critical. 
Yeah, it's absolutely critical. And then th- there's plot threads that are never explored. I mean, at, at one point, a character begins to question whether or not they are the origami killer. They're, they're sitting there going, maybe I am, and it's my subconscious. Never explore it again. They just never explore it. Uh, you know, it, it, there's a plot hole there too, which I, I don't want to get into, but it's like something very bizarre is happening and the game never explains it. It just – the game basically drops plot threads and plot points that it no longer feels are relevant without explaining them. Now, some of them – you have to admit when you play again, some of them are tied up. I really doubt that why Ethan always has an origami figure in his hand not is that ever one. explained. And that's a huge one. But yeah, not no, that no. I know of. Yeah. But yeah, some of the other ones are because like, it's one of those games that the more you think about it, the worse it is. Like after I beat it the first time, while I was playing it, I, it was so intense and I was really, really into it. And I was like, this is amazing. But like afterward and through the second playthrough, it kind of got more tepid. I mean, I still really like the game, but, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Go ahead. All all this kind of comes to the same point to me, and that's Heavy Rain is the equivalent to the Sixth Sense. It's great that first time you watch it and the second time you watch it because you're getting all the points that, you know, the first time it's like, oh, wow, you know, it's really intense. You're really the second time you're there to see the differences and then after that you're just kind of if you think about it anymore it continues to fall apart and it it mirrors heavy rain exactly with that i think i think heavy rain is best as the david cage experience it's very much like i i i like kyle had a ton of fun playing through this very tense you know interactive storytelling whatever you want to call it uh game and once you know once i'd kind of played through it and you know once i'd kind of seen what there was to see i was just kind of eh, you know like okay wow that was that was super awesome it's not worth dissecting you know it's it like david cage said it's only really worth playing through one time but not for the reasons that he said um but i don't know i, I thought it was again, you start to see Mm-hmm. The strings behind the puppets, as opposed to yeah. his his rationale, which is you have to have this personalized story. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I think I think that's also part of it is that I, I, res- I don't get me wrong, I respect David Cage, and I'm really glad that he made this game because I'm I'm sorry, making something new in video games and challenging the medium, I'm always going to be behind that. So from that perspective, hey, I'm really glad he made it. But then when I hear something like that, the cynical view of me is just like, well. You want me to have this experience. You want me to have an emotional connection to the situations I'm in. Okay, there are some very harrowing situations in the game. But then if I start thinking about why I'm in those situations, it starts to very rapidly fall apart. And as I said uh, before we we recorded, I feel like Heavy Rain, David Cage sat down and wrote fairly cliched but – fun scenarios you know the car that fills up with water the being tied to a table while you know someone's going to kill you all right the, that scene was just messed up yeah it was the, so awesome though that, that the, scene was just these big exploitation well that uh, we're gonna get there uh these big elaborate fight scenes so i feel like he wrote all these very interesting action scenarios and then he crafted a story to put you in those scenarios and at 
you can create something like North by Northwest. Alfred Hitchcock very famously had these scenarios. Oh, I want to do a movie on Mount Rushmore. Oh, I want to do a movie with a plane. And the scriptwriter had to come up with a story that would fit in all these scenarios, and it was beautiful. But then you could also have something like Pirates of the Caribbean 3, where all the action scenes were made before they had a script. And it doesn't really flow together that well. To me, Heavy Rain feels a lot like Pirates of the Caribbean 3, where I don't know why I'm in these situations. I don't know why everybody wants to kill Madison and why the game feels the need to do full frontal nudity with her to objectify her and make her a complete object. But, yeah, we seem to be doing that. In the conversation we had on the staff boards, I... I still like the concept of Madison, but she is the worst character in the game. Yes, she is a complete for David Cage to sit there and say in an interview that he's using nudity uh, to tell a story and to get us involved in the characters. And then within Madison to go, hey, to basically have two shower scenes in the game with the two main protagonists, one being male, which is quick in and out, and then one being female where the player can basically control her to stay in the shower and we get full frontal nudity and then you towel her off and you put on your clothes. That's just, that's just poor taste. That's yeah, just very that's poor taste. Actually. Well, that and half of basically half of what she has to do in the game is, Oh, get into this strange compromising situation. So that way you can get information. It yeah. reminds me, it reminds me of like Terry Goodkind novels where the character Kaylin, like the idea of her is oh, this very strong female character. And then, Every antagonist in the game is trying to rape her. And it's it's very uh, – I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine today, and I, I told her the, the scenario because I was like – at one point, Madison goes into a strip club, and she uses her sexuality to get what she wants uh, to get information. And you could make the argument that at that, at that point, she is taking over her sexuality, and she is using it. As a weapon, you know, it's the same argument that people make about Bayonetta, which just makes me uncomfortable to play as a gamer. I don't want anyone coming into the room when I play Bayonetta. But the game just makes me feel like a pervert. But you could argue that, oh, at this point, Madison is in charge of her sexuality. But at the same time, it's simply there to titillate the audience. So is she in charge of her sexuality? I don't know. I I agree that the shower scene is objectifying and the scene with her and Ethan – is objectifying. Oh, which is just awkward. I and her don't opening ag- scene where she's in her underwear. Yeah, I don't agree about that scene. I think that scene actually treated her sexuality correctly. But she can still get naked in that scene. The player can still get her topless. You can't get uh, her all the way naked. Because she always not, forces you I'm to just grab not the lamp. Convinced. What's that, Kyle? I don't know. I'm not convinced that she is being used irresponsibly. I, I really feel like in her opening scene she is. I mean, she's basically running around in her underwear while attackers are trying to kill her, and they're they're and the, and the thing is, it's irrelevant to her story. Yeah, it's it's they uh, go, oh, she's been having these nightmares, and you never hear about them again. Yeah, it it it's again they needed an action scene, and it's there, and the 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 sequence as an individual sequence works intense. It's a great yeah. sequence. Oh yeah. yes. When they put you in those sequences, it's awesome. But then when you start to think about them, like, uh, for example, at at one point you have this big elaborate chase scene through the weirdest grocery store I've ever seen where they have free range chickens, and which which is just bizarre. And then you capture somebody. It's like he may be the origami killer. How do you know that? 
I said, how did you know that? I feel like Plinkett. I'm like, how did you know that? How did you know that he was a suspect? Are, are we going to interrogate him? What's his alibi? What's going on? And then the game just kind of leaves, just kind of keeps going. So it, it, it's not a well-written game. It's really not. But it, at those individual moments are great. It's kind of like the DLC, the taxidermist, like how intense that one is. But it works better as a little vignette rather than a full-blown story. So I, I think David we, – we've talked enough about it. I, I think David Cage made a very interesting game. I'm glad he made it. I'm very glad he made it. I would love to see other games with decent writing in this type of genre. But I just don't think it, the the ridiculousness of the story kept on ripping me out of the scenario. Grab a couple of Bioware writers. Yes, yes, I I would love to it see and union from heaven. <laughs> I've got this image of Meryl avoiding being drilled right now, which is very <laughs> weird. You know, I, I, honestly, that scene really made me uncomfortable because that whole scene, I was sitting there going, the only reason Madison is in this game is so they can put her in sexually compromising situations. I, I mean, I want you, you can get. You, Am I allowed to use genital words? As long as you're tasteful. You can get drilled in the vagina in that game to death. Really? Yeah, that's that's messed oh, that's, up. That's a little weird. I mean, it's a little that's uh, just, crazy. Why is every character who Madison encounters a sexual deviant? Because except for Ma- Ethan. Madison is the equivalent of Kaylin in in all the Terry Goodkind books. I think she just has very bad luck. <laughs> so, I, I just think she's she very all the bad. creepers. We need she to move does. on because because we're capped for time. But I want the last word on Heavy Rain, and that is none of David Cage's games in the future will ever be better than Omicron because they will all lack David Bowie. I have a copy of Omicron for the so do I. <laughs> so do David I. Cage did Omicron? Yeah, I thought, I thought that was Dreams John Romero. Game. No. Really? Daikatana. That's that's John Romero. Daik- that's what it was. Yeah. Daik- there you no, go. O- Omicron, Omicron, the Nomad, the nomad Soul, Soul was. Mm-hmm. I never game. played that one. I I've never played it either. It, oh, so quick aside, and then we got to go. Uh, Omicron: The Nomad Soul. If you play it on Dreamcast, is a great fighter and an awful shooter. And if you play it on PC, it's a better shooter but an awful fighter. <laughs> well, they couldn't win. Okay. Yeah, no, like it, it's it's worth playing now, but whatever. Okay. All right. So. With those two conversations uh, behind us, uh, is it time for Dissidia? Yeah, uh, I'm going to do a quick aside on this. Um, I have not finished the story in Dissidia 012, Duodecim, whatever it's called. Um, I'm like six hours into the game. Uh, We should have a review either on release date or close to release date. Um, Chances are by the time you hear this podcast, we'll have the review. Make this quick and easy. It's the first Dissidia with more stuff. Cool. Did you did you like Dissidia? No. If you, uh, well, <laughs> then you I, no, I honestly then, never played it. <laughs> uh, if you like Dissidia, you're gonna like Duodecim. The story is still awful. I have no idea what any of this stuff is supposed to mean or put together. It's the forces of chaos versus the forces of cosmos. And it's it's all there to just put these characters into. You the could same pretty much world. just change every subtitle to Herp Derp, and you get the same story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but why exactly. not just? But then they could have really treated it cool, kind of like Super Smash Brothers. Like I always I always viewed Dissidia as kind of like the Square I, Enix Super Smash Brothers. I would have well, so much more respect for 
the story in Dissidia if they did a Smash Brothers style thing, but it's like they're trying to tell a serious story again. It didn't work in the first Dissidia. It doesn't work in this one. They expand this. We didn't cover the first Dissidia because it was a fighter. The single player mode in this is an RPG. It's got an overworld. It's it's the game even has what's called an RPG mode now where instead of having direct control over your characters, you're just kind of issuing orders to them. Well, they did have that in the first one. How is oh, this did. an R- how is this an RPG more than Dawn of War 2? Sorry. Don't start that. Don't start <laughs> that, Rob. There, there's significantly more in the way of statistics and numbers in this game than any other fighter on the face of the earth. Yeah, I, whenever I see a, dis- and I mean, uh, the it's fights just... are significantly influenced by like equipment and stats and yeah. At abilities. some point, John needs to explain how Dissidia works. Right. I think I tried to understand it okay. at the time, and I was just the character essentially has two kinds of health. They have yeah, hit like... points and they have bravery. Okay. Bravery, uh is also a source of power. So if you do a bravery attack, you take that bravery from the opponent. And the amount of bravery you have is the amount of damage you can do with a hit point attack. Now, if you reduce the opponent's bravery to zero, you get what's called a bravery break. And you get a significant boost to your bravery. When you use that attack to do a hit point attack, you do more damage, but your bravery goes back down to its normal levels. Okay. So it's kind of like, kind of like a tug of war back and forth. Yeah. Like you hit them a lot with your your quick, fast, brave attacks, and then you have your HP attacks, which are usually harder to hit with. But when yeah, they hit, they do actual damage. I, I would still prefer if I would just hit Cloud more and more, and his percentage would go up, and then eventually I could hit him with a home run bat and knock him out of the ring. <laughs> it, it it does feel needlessly complicated, but it's exactly the same as in the first game. Like it's. It's not like anything has changed here. The only thing that's really changed inside of battle is that you can summon an assist character. And if you if you bought Duodecim Prologus Waste of Three Dollars, you get Aerith. <laughs> yeah, and she can use great gospel. Yeah. Is she alive? I yeah, because it, it, it every <laughs> everyone's alive. All the bad guys that you killed at the end of every Final Fantasy game, they're all alive. Yeah, like if you if you if you want to talk a game where it'll me- melt your brain to think about the continuity, play the city because it's literally like Squall's like, oh, I'm so I'm so upset about what happened at the end of my game. Ultimatia's here, and then it's like <laughs> Lightning is, Lightning is sitting there talking about how she has to get back home so she can you know face her true so, destiny. So but the, the, she also said, ah, it's just ugh. there are some extra story sequences in what's called the manual where you can go and. It'll go through a bunch of still mind-numbingly what the hell is going on here sequences. And one of them, it's like Kuja has tricked uh, Zidane into being like, oh yeah, we're on the same side. And then he's totally shocked when Kuja betrays him. I do love Final Fantasy. I gotta replay nine at some point. Oh, I, nice. Whenever I see so Ke- whenever I see awesome. Kefka voiced, why do I always think of Heath Ledger's voice coming out of Kefka? Uh, I, I, I really Kefka. do. I, I truly wish that I had never seen an Amano drawing or a three D rendering of Kefka because when I think of Kefka, I don't think of this crazy clown dude. I think, think of the guy of with blonde t- hair and the feather in his hat. Yeah, I think of that tiny sprite, and no. I'm cool with that. You you don't like Kefka the Clown? 
No, I don't. Do you, are you afraid of clowns? No. I no, just he just don't. looks like a jackass. They be, all be, float. It, they all float. Ke- Kefka in FF6 feels like this very, very just kind of evil, demented, like he destroys the world just kind of because he can. Yeah, he, he's just evil for the sake. Of, he is chaotic evil. <laughs> yeah. And and I feel like with the, the whole clown thing going on, it lessens that. Yeah, yeah. So, Zach, did you get my They All Float reference? Uh, nope. No. <laughs> did anybody get that? No. Nope. No. Stephen King's It. Oh, no. Has really? anyone here no. seen Tron? Which one? Yeah, oh, I saw it recently, actually. I haven't oh. seen the new one. Uh, so oh, you guys missed the Simpsons reference. Game over. Oh, shit. Oh, you oh well. Jerk. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, yes? I mean, no. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm jerk. Okay. All I'm right. Done. Uh, bottom line on Dissidia, and the only reason that I'm cutting the short is we're short on time, and it really is. If you like Dissidia, you're going to like the new Dissidia. If you didn't like the old Dissidia, there's not much that's going to change your mind here. Cool. All right. So our big guy, Zach, is uh, one of the people that went to PAX. So you obviously have a lot of PAX stuff to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw Kingdom Hearts 3, right? They announced it, right? Uh, yeah, totally. It was it was super awesome. Robert. And, uh, Robert. And Robert, Rad. And, Robert. Robert. And Word, yo. Yeah, no. Robert. Um, What, Steven? Leave it alone. <laughs> I, I played I played before before I get into my pack stuff, um, and this is actually kind of tied into packs. Uh, I played Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Black. I have show, uh, show us them. You just, I, I, I can't show you them over the internet, unfortunately. You can't not show not us you them. know. Uh, yeah, but um, Pokemon Pokemon Black and White just came out March 9th or whatever it was, and uh, they're they're very. I, the last Pokemon I played in earnest was uh, I think. Pokemon Blue, like like the you know way back when when I when I was a wee lad, um, and I, I dabbled in Sapphire and I dabbled in uh, Pearl, um, but it's you know getting getting into Black now. Um, do, do, will you go back? I I will not go back actually. Um, but I it's it's very much the same game. Um, you know the same kind of like eight gym leaders. Go, you know, like do eugenic and and you know get badges and then fight the elite four and then do some post game stuff. Um, but the you know so that's if you liked Pokemon before, you know you'll probably like it now. But what I thought, what I think is really cool, um, and you know this this has kind of been of you know available in in stuff like canvassing for uh, Final Fantasy Nine, uh, not Final Fantasy, geez, uh, Dragon Quest Nine, excuse me. Um, and you know, some other stuff with the DS functionality is, is the C gear, which is, um, the, a new way to kind of connect with people around you, uh, in your Pokemon game. So you get it in, I think the first or in in probably the second city right after you fight the first gym leader, I think just about, um, and basically what it does is connects you to all of the DSs around you, uh, in real time. Or or online. Um, I haven't I haven't had a chance. Yeah, the to... the, the server has been broken for me every time I've mm-hmm. tried. Well, well, so 
the the online stuff um like game sync which is you know you can upload your save file to send pokemon to the dream world which is you know like a whole thing on its own uh the american servers are not up for that up yet so those i think will be in may uh you'll be able to to play with that but um basically what what i was able to do was just walk around the pack show floor and people just have their you know have pokemon kind of either running in their backpack or they're playing it at the pokemon booth or doing whatever, um, and you know you can you can very easily like instantly either challenge people to a battle or you know trade via you know the infrared port or whatever. It just it makes it this much more um, kind of communal experience. Uh, and they also have a really neat survey feature, which I don't I haven't seen anyone talk about. But uh, right now I'm able to check on my game, and I have like 40 people. Who I passed by at PAX while I was just like walking around doing nothing, um, and it shows you uh, what starter they chose, what um, version of the game they're playing, and how long they've played. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for like more surveys to be put out and more, you know, just information yeah. gathering. And that general level of connectedness I feel like is something that Pokemon has been perhaps striving for in the past and just has been able to achieve and so that's that's kind of my my two cents on pokemon is that it's it's the same and i haven't played it for you know a while so i'm, I'm kind of digging it um and so basically the last one i played was red they've added a lot they've added yes. well that's the thing is like i'm honestly i'm not too far into the game so i you know i haven't had a chance to do anything with breeding or with um you know you yeah, yeah po Pokemon no, no eugenics. <laughs> Never, I haven't messed around with EVs or IVs or competitive battling. Um, I actually EV, EVs are Pokemons. Well, yeah, but there's also like like hidden stats. But um, I haven't had a chance to screw with any of like the really advanced gameplay features yet. But it it seems like um, it's it's the you know it's a new Pokemon. Um, yeah. it, it, How are have it, I've played a little bit more. I think I've got six badges, and if it's Pokemon, yeah. Like it, yeah. There's some new stuff, and every Much single like Pokemon, Cydia. every yeah, every single Pokemon in the game is new. So that's that yeah, is. One I wanted thing, yeah. I wanted to ask, how are the new Pokemon? I are don't they, like them as much. Really? I will. I heard there were ice what? cream Pokemon. There yes. is an ice cream Pokemon. What? I I like the new Pokemon. I think that Both most like of them, did. not all of them, are pretty good. Um, Snivy, who is is my starter, I I have named Smugleaf because he is smug as all hell. Um. And, wait, 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 wait. It's called Smugleaf. I that's when I named him because he is so smug. Oh, okay, okay. okay. He's the I, he's the smuggest Pokemon, I, um, uh, and I'm appreciative of that. I I have my nicknamed Fire Pig because <laughs> he he is a pig that's on fire, and now that he's evolved <laughs> twice, he is now a giant boar that is on fire. Hey, mm -hmm. I genetically engineered this pig to be better than every other pig. Oink. <laughs> Spider Pig. Spider you know, you know what's amazing to think about? I played the original Pokemon back in middle school. I was how old? Yeah, eight? yeah, I was seven or eight when that came out. Oh my god! I played Pokemon Red when I was in middle school, and I remember this, I was like beside myself with how cool it was, and then I haven't touched it since. I used to go home early so I could watch the cartoon. Ooh. The um, the series is probably older than its target demographic right now. Yes. Which is kind of cool. I mean, it, it's interesting. Pokemon is kind of – it's kind of like uh, Dragon Age. Uh, Dragon Age. Gee, golly, Rob. <laughs> it's a lot like <laughs> Dragon Heavy Age. Rain 2 and now Dragon Age. It's a lot like Dragon Quest in that respect where it's it's something that's kind of 
goes past generation. It's it doesn't have a generational gap. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I mean I think it's a really cool thing that that you know that 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 a series can have that effect. And I can only the nice thing is that you know like I can only imagine what you know having the sea gear is like in in Japan. And I'll be there you know hopefully fingers crossed as long as they don't cancel my my program in uh, a, a week now actually. I leave in a week and eight hours. Um, not that you're so, hmm? not that you're counting. No, not that I'm counting or anything. But um, yeah, so I'll be able to ride the trains when when there aren't blackouts, um, and you know, com- you know, have yeah. that communication uh, with with the other, you know, the Japanese Pokemans and do all of that crazy stuff. And and I have a feeling that it's going to be a, a very interesting experience. Pax kind of gave me a taste of that, but you know, that's, that's one weekend or, you know, two out of the year. So yeah, so I can I, assure you, you will find plenty of people that play Pokemon in Japan. I, I think that that's the kind of feature that I'm glad that they included online because I, I, I live in an apartment and I work at an industrial supplier. Like I'm not going to run into anyone who's playing Pokemons. I'm not. It'd be kind of cool if you did, though. Would it? I, I think, yeah. I mean, at the very least, though, it's, it's you know, having the sea gear just on will grab any nearby player's um, survey information, and there's, like, a little kind of instant communication thing that just kind of pops up on your, like, I don't know if oh, it's no, on your no, screen. I, no, I, I hear that, and that's cool, but, and, like, it, it I, because of the spread-out nature and... True, yeah. I mean... I, I live in New York City, and so, like, I passed by a couple of people on the subway the other day, um, you know, and that, that doesn't always happen, but, you know, I saw one one person, you know, like, have, had their DS out, and, you know, like, another kid had their DS out, and so I got, you know, two more two more little bits of information. Yeah, Zach punched um, them in the face and stole their DS. That's what you did. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, no, I did not do that in case anyone anyone of legal importance is listening um <laughs> did no such yeah, thing Show the uh, yeah. sure you did um, but yeah so i mean so uh you know the the kind of final word on pokemon is that it's pokemon um it has it has some cool new features i think it's kind of nifty that you only see the new 150 some odd pokemon until you beat the elite four um, because it, it's almost, almost, and I say almost as a very strong, strong, very emphasized word in this sentence, it's almost like a reboot of the series because it's not at all a reboot of the series. But you know, you kind of get that feeling when there's no when there's no Pikachu. There is no Pikachu in this game Aww. for the first you know was, for, that, for the first chunk not, of time. Not necessarily true because they use the Pikachu sprite. Really? Like the the mm-hmm. not not the battle sprite, but like the little tiny sprite that you see for an individual character on the world map. They use it for another Pokemon, so you what? will. Huh. It well, there there are only like twelve Pokemon in the game that they ever show outside of battle. And so they, either that or it was Pikachu in the game, and they were in some city, but it it was the Pikachu sprite, or at least something that looked very similar. All right. Well, I mean, either way, they, their intention is to, you know, yeah, is to is to kind of re reboot not the series perhaps, but you know that sort of, you know, visual, like instantaneous visual acknowledgement that this is Pokemon and that is Pikachu and Bulbasaur and Squirtle and and Charmander are hanging out over there, 
Um, so I thought that that's, that's kind of cool. It's a nice way for someone like me who, you know, I haven't played the game in, you know, with any, like, I really didn't, I really didn't get into Sapphire and Pearl all that much just because it was, it was kind of too new. Um, but it's, it's a nice way to reintroduce and granted I am playing, I have a couple of friends who, um, will be going to Japan with me and we will be playing this at the same time. Um, so that's kind of, it's nice to have that social element, you know, even aside from just meeting random people. But, um, anyway, so I did this, is there anything else about Pokemon? No. Aside from that? No. Yeah. So it, it's, it's Pokemon. It's, it's Pokemon. It's Pokemon. You, you should be intelligent enough at this point to decide if Pokemon is for you. If mm-hmm. not, you can go play Strange Journey because it's Pokemon, but um, Venus, with penis for, demons. For, for older. Yeah, and it hates you. <laughs> it doesn't hate Anyways. you. It loves you. It has many rewards waiting for you to unlock. Okay. PAX East. Uh, Yay! Yeah, yeah. I met, I met uh, our very own uh, Dennis and our very own Damien, and they're, they're both pretty rad dudes. So hi, Dennis. Hi, Damien, if you're listening. Um, yeah, I, so real quick, I played the 3DS. Did it works. Up? No, it works. That's like, I, my jaw just kind of like dropped for a good minute while I was just like, Hey, this is in 3d. And then I, and then I walked away because it was Ocarina of Time. Uh, and I played that a lot. Uh, so. And it's overrated. It, no, nah, he bro, said it. He I, said it. Don't do that. I, I've never been able to beat that, and I've tried six or seven times, and I can never finish it. But that's because I think 2D Zelda is just better. Yes. Whatever. Anyway, so yeah, so Old Zelda. 3DS works. Get you know, you'll be you'll have the chance to play Ocarina of Time and Master Quest. You know, sometime later this year after the launch window has closed. Quick I will have our review you, of Devil you, Survivor. Quick aside before you get to your your RPGs from PAX, who could have seen that? The new Ghost Recon 3DS game is either an Advance Wars or Fire Emblem style game. Like, that blows me away. I think it's cool. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, nice. no, I, I dig on it, but it's... I'm, I'm saw wait- that coming? I'm waiting for the uh, next Splinter Cell game starring uh, Sam Fisher as Cooking Mama. It, the next Splinter Cell game is going to be a kart racing game. You race against terrorists in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, like, the fact that you guys are laughing that much, you haven't read that's a penny arcade from like six uh, years ago. Uh, oh, oh well, it was, well, funny, well. <laughs> it was funny. Um, but yeah, so so I played in addition to the 3DS, I played some action RPGs at, at PAX East. Diablo, I played, I didn't play Diablo, Diablo? save that for BlizzCon. Uh, no, no Diablo, bad Steven. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I played. The, the two the two big games that I that I had a chance to to talk with the the PR folks with uh, were Bastion, uh, which is a the action RPG coming out of Supergiant Games uh, this summer, um, and I played Dungeon Siege Three, which is coming out of Obsidian. Also, this uh, I guess it's not technically summer. May thirty first is is the date that they have right now, um, and they're very different. Uh, who who wh- who do we want to hear about first? What game do we want to hear about first? Dungeon Bastion, Siege. Because, Bastion, oh, Greg Cassavin is the man. <laughs> okay, so yes. Oh, well, let me, I'll I'll just say a quick note. Greg Cassavin is a pretty rad dude. He's he was a very I I got the chance to talk to him. Um, and you know after I played the demo for the game, uh, and and he's he's pretty awesome. He used to work at for those of you who aren't aware, he used to work at Gamespot as editor in chief. Then he moved to EA LA, I believe, as part of the Command and Conquer series. 
And then he and a couple of uh, folks from EALA decided that they didn't really like what they were like the the you know the very separate nature of the development structure in in the studio and wanted to make a game together in in their own way and so that's how they formed Supergiant Games and Bastion is is their first game um and and it's pretty cool uh the gist of it from from what i played in the demo is that you are air quotes the kid that is that is your character um, there's not a whole lot of exposition as to why he is where he is or, you know, what is going on in the world. But essentially, the world has had some cataclysmic event and you have to go to the Bastion, which is where everyone said um, they would meet if something bad were to happen. And so the reason you know this is because there's this awesome interactive narrator uh, in the game. Uh, and and it basically in this really gruff voice, he'll be like, so the kid woke up and so like you you'll you'll move you know like you start off you know you're you're asleep on on a bed in your room or whatever and then once you move the the control stick you know you get up and he says the kid wakes up and and left his house for the bastion he's describing kind of what's going on uh as you play and and the it, there's it's really funny because there there's one time i accidentally rolled off the the edge of the stage and then and then the narrator said and the kid plummeted to his death <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And then you like respawn on the stage. Um, and so, you know, like you can, you know, you'll, you'll be, you know, like walking around the level fight, you know, it's like, and then some, some slimes came up in attack. I don't know. The, it's a really, uh, the, the guy's name is Logan. Steven wants does, to try this game. It's, it's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, the, the guy's name is Logan. I can't remember his last name off the top of my head, but he, this, this really amazing narration and it, it follows you through the whole game. And so there's, um, like you can like a whole bunch of enemies may just spawn and you can totally fight them. Or if you run past them, they'll say, and the kid ran past his enemies. You know, you knew what he had to do or something, you know, something like that. So it's, it's kind of interesting that's, to see. No, that, that, I mean, this is something that that's been developed in sports games for years, you know, being able to tell what's going on. And I, I think it's great that they're doing the system. That sounds amazing. I would love to see, you know, I, going back to EA, these guys from EALA, the guys from like EA Vancouver or EA Tiburon in Florida that do the sports games work on a system like that for an RPG because that sounds amazing. I, do you really want it to sound like that though? Oh my god, the Black Mage is going to use ice. No, I mean like it's it's and not it's not, clearly it's not Rob, you know like that that in depth, but Rob, Rob no, it's not your every action. It's just like. You're playing Diablo, and it's like the rogue entered the rogue encampment. I, I'm talking to Rob. Was the last sports game you played like NFL Game Day 98? They still sound like that. I can no, they the don't. I can still hear the breaks. Then Yeah, but they're better. It's a lot better. I don't play better. sports games, it's, but, like, I watch my friends play a lot. dramatic effect, you guys. Whatever. Anyways, anyways. Um... Another example is is I mean like the the I was talking to to Greg Savin and he was like you know we really didn't want to take players out of the you know we didn't want story to interrupt the play experience and so when you when you finally get to the Bastion in the demo which is you know the first probably ten minutes of the game so there's there's really no spoilers here um there's not even any great plot exposition that goes on during the demo um you you go and, and you see the you you know you see this character who is the narrator and you walk you know like and he says you know like finally the kid arrived at the Bastion and he you know and then so you go up and you you press. I forget what button it is to talk to him. And he says, and I told the kid 
that he had to move on and could, you know, like go, go find the rest of the shards. But like, there's no, you know, like, it's just like a little quest thing pops up and it says like, you know, quest completed. But instead of like, you know, directly interacting with this character, he's just kind of like narrating what happened in your conversation. So there's, there's this tremendous sense of humor. Um, and that's just like, that's, you know, the, the kind of ground level, you know, that's the, the groundwork that they laid for the world. All of the art in the game is hand painted and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful game. Um, the, the world kind of like comes up as you're walking through it. Uh, and it's the, this, the, I think they really succeeded with the art style. And I think the, the most important is, um, the gameplay. And so it's, uh, a very, I, I wouldn't say that it's a standard action RPG. It's not loot driven. Um, it's basically you, you have a select few weapons, you know, I think, uh, that he said that there would be uh, over 10 weapons that you will receive over the course of the game. Um, and the three weapons that I had access to in the demo were the hammer, which is kind of your standard melee weapon, uh, a repeater, which is a, you know, kind of distance uh, gun that you're able to, you know, just kind of like either shoot off a bunch of rounds or, you know, whatever, and then you have to reload, or the bow and arrow, which you have to charge. Um, and each of these gave a really different, kind of experience with with how you were doing so like the repeater is you know you sure you can you know it's not very powerful but you have a lot of ammunition before you have to reload um and it is you know very fast paced whereas when you when you have the bow you press you know like x or b whatever button you have it assigned to and you have to hold it down to charge up a shot and it'll auto target um the the nearest like the nearest enemy or the nearest you know thing um which you know is really nice and you can strafe around them without having to actually aim um which was really cool but anyway so there's you know the the weapons kind of create this different very different play style and it's you know it encourages experimentation so like do you want um the you could play with the repeater and the bow you know maybe that'll work out for you or you know maybe you prefer to to you know take keep your distance and and you know like have the the bow and arrow as your main weapon um, and then once an enemy gets too close, you want the, the, the hammer and, you know, there are a couple of different, you know, like there are skills that you will obviously pick up in the game. Um, there's, uh, they have a, a kind of nifty thing where instead of equipment, uh, I think there may also be equipment in the game, but from what I've seen, instead of, you know, what appears to be equipment, you get potions, which you don't actively use, but instead, um, like I will augment your character. So like one will increase your critical hit chance and one will, you know, increase the the amount of health you have, the max health. And you can like swap these out at um I, I don't know what the name of the building is, but there's like a potions building and there's a um, potions. And I, I think it's actually they're called tonics, but there's a tonics building and there's a weapons and armor building. Um and so it just I I was really um kind of you know it's it's not the the most let's say original game with its gameplay but it does you know like between the narration and i think that the the variation that you get in weapons and skills and potions and kind of how you choose to build your character even though they're you know aside from leveling up there don't seem to be very many stats um is is the sort of it it seems like it's a very it will become this very kind of catered you know to you this experience catered to you um and I, I really enjoyed it uh and so yeah hopefully 
uh, you know, that's that's coming out. I think the one of one of our news stories is that uh, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment is bringing that. So that's coming that to XBLA this summer. Um, and PC is gonna a PC version is gonna come out later this year. Um, and so I was actually playing on a PC with an Xbox controller. They said they're working on their um, their expo their PC controls now. Um, and so, you know, hopefully I'm assuming a demo will come out soon. Uh, and you know, that's, it's, I'd say, you know, keep an eye on that because it's, it's a pretty cool game. Um, and yeah, hopefully I, I, I asked them about if they would be on the podcast. So hopefully we could get Greg Kasavin or one of the other folks from there on at some point. It would be awesome to talk to Greg Kasavin. It would be pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really liked that site since he left. Yep. Yep. Word. All right. So what um, anyways, else? What else did he see? Because we're getting a little long. So yeah, too. Right. Right. Sorry. Uh, so Dungeon Siege Three is is uh, I don't want to say um, bad, but it's the opposite of of this kind of new take on the action RPG that that Bastion um, seemed to provide. It, Dungeon Siege Three is um, did it so suffer it's, from the streamlining bug? Uh, I you know well here let me just say that I haven't played the first two Dungeon Siege games. Um, but it's essentially, um, but this is, this is kind of the same, you know, if that's what it is, then, you know, this is very much like Diablo. Um, you have, uh, four characters you can pick from, uh, you know, then they essentially are your character classes. So you have Lucas, the two that they're showing now, um, they haven't announced the other two yet are Lucas, who is this warrior, um, who is apparently the son of the farmer from the first game, if, if lore means anything to you um, about this, you know, about Dungeon Seeds as a series. Um, and then there's Anjali, who is this, I think they call her an Archon, which is basically like the angels of, of the Dungeon Siege world. And so each character you can play as has, you know, like a, a selection of skills um, is you can, you know, you can they have two styles or two stances rather each. Um, so as Lucas, I think I didn't get a chance to play as him. I played as Anjali. As Lucas, you have either a two-handed, you know, sword uh, dealy, or you have a sword and a shield, and so you can use different, um, you know, different skills based on that. With Anjali, you have a kind of staff wielding, um, you know, just kind of close combat sort of thing going on. But if you switch into her Archon form. You shoot fireballs and have uh, like recovery magic that you can use and can lay down like fire traps, um, and so you you kind of have your standard like talents and proficiencies and um, you know stat. I don't know if there's I can't remember. If, I don't think there's stat distribution, but you can you know you can pick your skills and upgrade your skills along two branching paths. Um, and generally, like I had, I had fun playing with it. You know, it's 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 kind of it seems like it's going to be uh, your your kind of standard console action RPG loot based, very heavily loot based. Actually, um, they have a dialogue wheel um, for for your conversations. It does have four player co op, which is pretty cool. Um, and I, so, I had sorry? a chance. I had a chance to see this at E3 this mm. last year when it was still very early in development. Um, and I think that's what they're going for. I think they they it's it's developed by Obsidian. The first two games were developed by Gas Powered Games. Mm, yeah, I mean this. It seems like a very uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance style yeah. game, or, 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 Mar- or Marvel Ultimate Alliance. You know that that sort of 
four-player, get your buds together, uh, co-op, action RPG, go. I say this genuinely when I honestly say I really hope that they don't ship it with a million bugs. Because it seems like it could be a pretty fun hack-and-slash game. I just don't trust anything from Obsidian because they have an excuse for why every single one of their games is buggy as hell. I, I agree, and I don't think they'll run into that issue with this game because... John, always we, the optimist. That's what I, good. Based on what I've seen of Dungeon Siege, it's not nearly as open and it's not nearly as ambitious as some of their other games. Mm. Yeah, they're making some... I mean, it's a dungeon hack. That's what it is. I mean, essentially, it has, it has some combat, and there are some, you know, like, choices you can make, but it doesn't seem like, you know, this is the sort of thing where, you know, like, you, you get four, you know, like, four people together over Xbox Live or PSN um, or, you know, fingers crossed PC, because apparently they, they're they still working on their, their PC controls. Um, what? The, the, yeah, no, this, it's definitely meant for consoles. Um, I again played it on a PC with an Xbox 360 controller, but they said you know like pretty much, you know like don't don't touch the PC controls right now. Um, there's you know like a skill is bound to each X, uh, Y, and B on the Xbox controller. Attack is A. Right bumper is like interact or pick up loot. Um, you move around with the the left stick. Left trigger is like uh, guard and roll. Um, you know if you move it's, 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 it's very. It's, it's divinity too. When is is it, I haven't played Divinity 2. When but... is this game supposed to come out? Yes, May 31st. I was literally May, about to ask okay, because okay, because I'm, I'm they sitting. Would be foolish. I, I, yeah, they. Uh, I think I said this way back during the e, the E3 show. Pray to God that this comes out before Diablo 3. Looks like they made it, but that if they don't, mm-hmm. if they release I, this anywhere around Diablo 3, mm, they may as well throw the game in the garbage. Complete disagree. I know you completely disagreed with me last year. You were wrong then, and you're wrong now. <laughs> This this game, despite being a hack and slash, is not targeting the same audience as Diablo. It definitely it feels different. It yes. feels different from Diablo. But the problem but the problem is that no one's really going to care about it. No, incorrect. <laughs> you you are seeing this from the world of Rob. Rob loves Diablo. Rob loves wait, games wait, wait. that normally that... I would not be part of World of Rob, but this is gonna be per- part of World of Rob and Steve because yes. I agree. Okay, okay. You guys are seeing this from the view of I really like loot. I really like the the depth that Diablo gives. I really like the everything that Blizzard puts into this game. I tell you what, you guys are not the mass market target. Square Enix is looking at this game because they they purchased the Dungeon Siege franchise. Square Enix now owns it because they think it's a franchise that can be mass marketed. This version from Obsidian is not necessarily targeting us super hardcore RPG folks. The people who play Marvel Ultimate Alliance, the people who loved Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, I worked at a GameStop when Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance came out, and it's not the same audience. It's it's the kind of game that you would say to your girlfriend, to your wife, to someone who's not as hardcore, hey, would you like to play this game with me? And it's a game that you will enjoy playing as a hardcore gamer, and they will understand as a non-gamer or as a casual gamer. The I- one thing I would say about that is the the intense fantasy-ness of this, and I, it just it seems too 
almost generic fantasy and almost too hardcore because like the I did say, you know, like I was having fun with it. And there's I feel like I actually died a couple of times during the demo. And like I was really embarrassed because like the guy that one of the producers of the game was like standing over my shoulder and was like, oh, oh, you're about to die. Oh, and I could tell that I was doing poorly. But like, you know, there's some you need to strategize with people sometime like you. There will be like the the way that you can spec. So let's say I I was playing as Anjali and you had this fire trap spell. Um, and you can spec it so that, um, you know, like either it, it does more, like it does like burning damage, I think, or it heals characters on, like it heals friendly characters who are in that thing. So like you, you have to like kind of coordinate to send, you know, like to drop the fire trap, move Anjali back and have perhaps Lucas, you know, who's the, the warrior type run in there and start like hacking and slashing so i mean like maybe you know like you kind of get into a flow with that and but I, I i you know i'll admit i haven't played the marvel ultimate alliance but they seem a lot more yeah no like brawly they're, they're simpler and i have a great story about this who my good friend steven back in las vegas he was playing uh, i think it was x-men legends 2 with our friend kip and uh he goes, yeah, I am beating the crap out of this guy. And he's attacking a wall. He thinks he's the other character. <laughs> can, can I can I just make a comment to what John was saying about how he wants us to be mass market? I'm not going to argue with him. Would not argue with him at all. This game will not track on NPD. It won't. Uh, it won't. It won't. No, I disagree. It's not a I, franchise that anybody knows about or anybody cares about. And, it's and, a niche uh, franchise. Rob, what was Baldur's Gate? I'm, I'm. What was Baldur's Gate? I'm telling you right now, the what game is not. What was Baldur? No, answer my question. It was a answer. game designed by Bioware, and what I'm, what I'm saying. <laughs> John, okay, fine. I will bet you right now. I bet you ten dollars it doesn't track on MPD. Prove All me right. wrong. All right. Ten bucks. All right. There you go. It's, it's. You heard it here first, kids. I, I'm not saying – please nobody think that I'm bashing Obsidian for that, but I – this is not a game that anyone's going to really care about except for hardcore RPG players. Rob, <laughs> the difference between – I have knowledge that Square Enix is putting dollars into this for marketing. I haven't seen any, and I, don't, and I don't think it matters. The, the game's not out for another two, three months. Two months. Two, two and a half months. That is not a large window. They, bet, they better market the piss out of it. No, 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 no. You don't understand mass market marketing for games. If okay. they're going to hit, if they're going to hit television and print, they don't want marketing now. They want marketing within two or three weeks of release because the average person that's looking for this ad is not going to say, "Oh, I'm excited for this game. Let's go to GameStop and pre-order it." They're going to say, "I'm going to Walmart or Target and I want to buy this game." Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, so that's that's uh, Dungeon Siege Three. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's going to be a terrible game. I'm not saying here, anything about the quality of the game. I'm just saying I do not think people care. I mean, here's here's what I came away with. Um, when when I was you know at PAX, uh, I really you know I Dungeon Siege Three and Bastion are two games that occupy you know essentially the same genre. Essentially, they're both action RPGs. Um, they're both uh, I don't know if I'd say isometric, but they, you know, they occupy that sort of like move one character around and and do that, um, you know, like do that attacking thing that that you do in action RPGs. Um, but I came away 
decidedly more impressed by Bastion. And, you know, I'm, not, I'm certainly not, you know, hating on, on Dungeon Siege, but it just, Bastion seemed to, you know, of the two that I played, and, you know, of course there were other action RPGs at PAX that I might have missed, um, but um, of the two that I played, there there seemed to be a, a bit more ingenuity um, coming out of Bastion. You know, like a bit more kind of creativity and and that's certainly not to say um, that uh, that what was I saying? That's certainly not to say that that uh, Dungeon Siege is bad, but I just you know it, it's it, they're different games certainly. Uh, you know, Bastion doesn't have the the multiplayer going for it, but um yeah. So I mean, so those are those are the two games I saw at PAX, and they were fun. Well, I guess we're can, losing. Can we, yeah, can we? Can we just take what? What happened to John? <laughs> uh, John had to go. He had to go pick. Oh, up he had him. to go as well. Yeah, and oh, Stevens. Okay. The ladies were calling them. Yeah, see, gotcha. this is, this I miss. I miss John saying. That's why it's awesome to be single. Hmm. <laughs> as I go cry into my love pillow. <laughs> about uh, that. <laughs> about that. Uh, so let's do a short news section. Short news. All right. Short. So so first. First on the on the on the news agenda for the evening is is some new Mass Effect DLC. Uh, it's actually I think it's the final piece of DLC. Um, yes, it is called Arrival. Uh, and so the the you know the blurb from the Mass Effect Two website is a deep cover agent is missing in Batarian space after reporting evidence of an imminent Reaper invasion. Shepard must travel to the edge of the galaxy, rescue the agent, and discover the truth behind the Arrival. Uncover new research and three new achievements in this spectacular new adventure for Mass Effect 2. So yeah, so um, it's it's more Mass Effect, some new achievements. Uh, it seems like this is the bridge DLC that they were talking about um, in you know when when before uh, Mass Effect 2 came out. Um, so you know I think Bioware has done a pretty solid job with with the DLC, you know keeping keeping Mass Effect 2 going. Um, and so this this is, will be the the nice little capstone. Uh, and so the the arrival is coming out uh, March 29th, so that's uh, about a week from when this show should go up. Uh, it's going to be uh, 560 space bucks, uh, Microsoft or Bioware points, you know, your your choice, um, or 7.99 US on the PS3. So yeah, so so that's some some new Mass Effect 2 DLC uh, coming to PSN soon, or actually just released on PSN is Parasite Eve. Uh, so this kind of falls in with the whole um, and the whole rumors and speculation, obviously. But you know, third birthday is coming out pretty soon. Uh, Parasite Eve One is now on the PSN for uh, six bucks, or you know, five ninety nine, whatever. Um, and uh, Parasite Eve Two is coming soon. You know, at some point in the future, probably before third birthday. Uh, so I mean, I I didn't finish. I don't think I finished Parasite Eve One when I when I was playing it uh earlier last year but i can't finish it it's so antiquated it it is kind of antiquated but for six bucks it is kind of it's a little bit more original um i i like to play parasite eve 2 i have like the disc sitting right next to me a lot of people really hated it they they just said that they didn't i i think it strays a little bit more from the the rpg i mean parasite Eve 1 wasn't even all that rpg but it's i think it's a little bit more survival horror than action yeah um Going, that is, you know, two is more survival horror. Anyways, so that's, you know, uh, the we're probably going to have some some retro reviews on 
site when those come or after those come out. So you maybe maybe stay tuned. And certainly, you know, if you want to get caught up on the third birthday, you know, or rather prepare for the third birthday release, um, which is not exactly is that is that May June ish? It's sometime I, in the summer. I honestly can't remember. Okay, so that's that's sometime this summer. Um, John, what what or excuse me, that would be Kyle. Yeah, no, I was thinking I was thinking Rob actually, but. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Rob or, or Kyle, Rob or Kyle, um, what is the longest game title you can think of right now? Um, what was that Devil Summoner on PlayStation 2, Raido Kuzunoha oh, yeah. versus the Army of Abandon or Some, something? Some, or, something like that. Um, let, let, me, let me throw this at you. Okay. Cthulhu Saves the World, Super Hyper Enhanced Championship Edition Alpha Diamond DX Plus Alpha Fess HD hyphen premium enhanced game of the year collector's edition parentheses without avatars exclamation point. I'm I so think happy. I get what they're going for. Uh, yeah. So, so, um, this is X, Xbox live indie game. Uh, Cthulhu saves the world is coming is there's, there's a free update coming for the game, uh, with, with, you know, with this free update, you know, you get this lovely new title, um, and so basically they've rebalanced the game. It has a new difficulty mode. It has a bonus dungeon. Um, I think there's new, there's new avatar icons. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't forget what the, the gamer pictures, I think is the term for that. Uh, and there's, there's director commentary. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you already own the game, the update's free, uh, which is pretty nifty, uh, pretty cool of them. And then if you don't, it's still only $3 on Xbox Live Indie uh, Marketplace. And so we have a review of that. Dennis reviewed the game uh, on the site and uh, gave it a pretty pretty solid review. So uh, definitely check that out if you're interested. Um, what else you got for us? What else? Uh, well, we already, we already covered Bastion is coming out this summer on XBLA and later in the year on PC. You know, so that's that's a little bit of news. And then finally, um, getting back to to the uh, the unfortunate earthquake in Japan. Um, d- you know, the the most I think minimal uh, bad thing to come out of this is is this news story, uh, which is Final Fantasy 11 and 14 servers are temporarily shut down. Um, and so, you know, like like in in the face of of all of this, you know, death and destruction, I think that this is a pretty OK thing for for gamers to have to deal with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nobody should be getting so, their, so nobody the, should be getting pissy about this. Yeah. Um, um, so, I mean, they they're shutting down the servers uh, for for these games and actually for, you know, outside of RPGs in general for a lot of games. I know that the uh, the Metal Gear online uh, servers were also shut down and this is all all to save energy because you know like those power plants are you know no longer active essentially so they're no you know like there there's been rolling blackouts uh throughout japan you know planned um but just you know so that they can save that energy um and so you know for the outage you know uh square enix certainly isn't going to begrudge you a national dis- uh, a national disaster um the 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 service the play online services for april um will be free so, you know, nice, nice of them to do that. Uh, but, you know, still our hearts do go out. Um, you know, I, I'm excited to go to Japan in, you know, like the next week and a half or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I'm it'll be it'll be an interesting and changed experience. So, you know, our hearts go out to them and I will certainly have more uh, on on what's up over there. You know, not that it's RPG related at all, but um, yeah. So 
Uh, if if you want more information on on those outages, you can there's check out the news story on our site. There's a link to the Play Online webpage. But oh, that, right. dear Rob and dear Kyle, and dearly departed, not dead, but you know uh, John and Stephen, <laughs> um, is it for news? All right, all right. Well, uh, Kyle, were you happy to be back on the show again? Absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, I know you're on Witcher 2 um, review, and uh, I may kill you to get that review, just throwing that one out there. But um, we should probably try to get you back on for Witcher 2, because I think that'll be uh, the big RPG to talk about as we go into the summer months. Uh, I hope I hope it's what I was hoping Dragon Age 2 would be. I, I'm really excited for it. I mean, Me too. I, I, I think I, it will have that kind of edge that dragon age 2 doesn't yeah yeah no i'm I'm excited for it i'm really excited for it so we got that we got human revolution so we got lots of rpgs coming in the next couple months so uh want to thank everybody again for listening to the podcast sorry we went a little long today but we had important stuff to talk about (laughs) uh keep on subscribing on the rss feed subscribe to us through itunes uh keep on giving us good reviews we really like to hear the feedback i know it warms my cold dead heart uh so thanks again for all the support guys and talk to y'all later